Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And today I'm excited because one of my personal fascinations is lighthouses. I love lighthouses. I don't know if it's the romance of a lighthouse or the thought of an old ship captain, or maybe because I, as a kid, would watch old black and white episodes of The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. And even though it wasn't at a lighthouse, it was all about being on the sea and the captain, who was the ghost. And I've always been fascinated by lighthouses. I think that they're romantic and spooky. And I'm lucky today to talk to Carol O'Neill from Point Sur Light Station. My first question, and this might be a stupid question, what is the difference between a light station and a lighthouse? Uh, it's it's not a super, it's not a stupid question. Uh, we get it all the time. Okay. Um, a lighthouse is the actual building that the light is on. And a light station is that building, the lighthouse, and all the buildings that support it. So at Point Sur, we have two keepers' quarters. Uh, one is a giant building with three apartments. The other is just a standalone house. We have a barn. We have a carpenter shop um, and a couple of other small buildings. So um, light stations are the whole complex. So it's still a lighthouse. Oh, yeah. Then. And we have, have a very okay. nice lighthouse. Tell me a little bit of the history. When was the, the, the actual lighthouse built? The lighthouse was built in 1889. And that was um, just to set it in context. Uh, it's along the Big Sur coast. And in 1889, there was no highway. There was no actual road. There was kind of a... Uh, rough road to Big Sur. But today, of course, we have Highway 1, which is the scenic highway that runs along the coast. But in 1889, it was quite remote. And the first, when it was built, it was built because of the the rocky coastline right there, right? Absolutely. Uh, lighthouses are more than just warning devices. Um, though, because Point Sur is a big rock that kind of sticks out into the ocean, we're about, we're connected to the shore, um, by a huge sand area, but we're about a half a mile from Highway 1. So, uh, to, when you go up and down the coast, you actually have to go around Point Sur. But more than that, lighthouses are actually aids to navigation. They tell the mariner where to change uh, his or her course. So if you're coming up the coast from Southern California and you get to Point Sur, you'll want to change your course um, more northerly. Uh, otherwise, you'll... To go around yeah, it? Yeah, well, no, assuming you're going to go around it, but you want to, if you're coming up the coast and you don't change your course, you're going to keep going out to sea. So the, the oh. California coast isn't, you know, just north-south. So you have to make a, a, a jog, I'll say, to the, to the right, to the north or the 
more northeasterly direction, I guess. To, uh, otherwise, you go past Monterey and San Francisco, you'd never see it. And it's it's really obvious coming up the coast of San Francisco uh, or the coast of California at Point Conception, which is just north of Santa Barbara. So the coast kind of goes east-west, and then you have to turn to go north. So the and what do you do? What is your title? My title. I'm the, I'm the volunteer historian. Oh, so you know all the juicy history. I do. And there, okay, so every lighthouse that I've like researched prior to this was, um, it was always like one family or one man that lived at the light station. But for whatever reason, Point Sur had two or three at a time, right? Yes. Um, they generally had four light keepers. And why is that? Why did they have so I many there? I think because it was so remote. There was a head keeper and then three assistant keepers, and most of them had families. But I, I don't actually know. I'm guessing because it was remote. Because that's not, that's not normal, right? Well, um, I'm trying to think. Point Pinos, which is our nearest light, other lighthouse, is located in the town of uh, Pacific Grove on the Monterey Peninsula. And they usually had one keeper. Um, yeah, that's, I think, Yeah, most that I've looked at have been like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons, back in, back in the old days, they only turned the light on at night. At Point Sur, they, did, they only turned the light on at night, but they also had a fog signal. So the light keepers had four, six, eight-hour watches, um, so they needed to, you know, have the rotating watch, and then there was a lot of uh, maintenance that went on, and then if anybody got sick or wasn't there. So even up into modern times, and, and I'll say into the early 70s, which is when the Coast Guard, I'll say, abandoned the light. They took the keepers away and remoted how it operated. But they they also had four keepers. Just a, Wait, Does the lighthouse still operate today? Absolutely. Yeah. But, the same purpose, the same reason why it always Yes, it has. does. And, and I'm going to put a little asterisk by the yes, it does. Right now, these, the solar panels that ran the uh, Coast Guard's modern LED light, they blew off the solar panels. So right now, we do not have a light. But uh, we've been in touch with uh, the Coast Guard Station Monterey, and they assured us as soon as it gets, they, <laughs> they get something back, it is not being decommissioned. It's still an active aid to navigation. That's interesting, because there isn't a lot of light stations that are still active, is there? Yeah, a lot of them still are, but none of them have people living in them. I mean, unless it's like a bed and breakfast. But yeah, um, along our coast, we have Point Pinos and Pacific Grove, and then Piedras Blancas down in uh, San Simeon and, and Cambria. Uh, and these are all, they've been there for over 100 years up north uh, between Santa Cruz and San Francisco is Pigeon Point, and there's another one, Montera. What year did they stop having people live there? 1974? 72. 
And we're pretty sure that's because that was the year the Clean Water Act went into, was enacted, went into law. And it's a rock, Point Sur is. And before the Clean Water Act was uh, put into practice, they just sent it all out over the side, big pipes down to the ocean. And after that, it was just deemed too expensive to put in a sewage treatment. And they could, re- by 1972, they could remote it. And they were running the light 24-7. So it wasn't like somebody had to run down and flip the switch. So tell us about the people that have lived. Well, it was, I, <laughs> I I was laughing as you talked about the ghost of Mrs. Muir, which I loved also, and that very handsome sea oh, yeah. captain. And, um, but the reality is most, most of those people didn't have all their teeth. Uh, really? <laughs> well, it was the olden times, you know, and they smelled bad and, you know, it, it wasn't like, I don't know who was, who was in the very handsome guy in the ghost of Mrs. Muir, but I dare say none of them were that handsome. Um, having said that they were, uh, this was a government job, so it was sort of a middle-class job. It required some skill because back in the old days, um, you had to have some mechanical ability. Uh, during the Coast Guard era, of course, they were Coast Guardsmen, and they were usually had electrical backgrounds. So they, I don't know the Coast Guard's ratings, but they would have been electricians. But we had a blacksmith shop, so the the people who were there would have needed to have those skills. They had to pass a test. Um, they were middle. And the benefit to them was that their family could live there too, Absolutely. right? I mean, that's why you would take a job like yes. that. Yes. Now there was no school most, most of the time. So families had very small children and they would usually transfer to a lighthouse, light station, that was closer to schools if the kids got to be around six years old. But in the late 20s, very early 30s in Monterey County, if you had six children that were six years old or older, you could get who were not six years old on paper became six years old. And for two or three years, they had their own teacher. And and they were usually young right out of college and they didn't stay very long because they had to live with the families. And then in 1932, uh, they uh, had a school close by to the lighthouse, one room. Kids and schooling, it was always kind of an issue. By the, by the 1930s, they had, and when the highway went in, uh, the kids um, went to high school in Monterey. So, so tell us about the individuals that lived there, like... I heard there were interesting stories about the people that lived there, the, the different oh, they families. Were, well, there, there was one keeper that um, was at Point Sur for about 20 years, uh, uh, John Astrom, and he was Swedish. He had served 20 years with the Swedish, um, I think, Merchant Marina. He may have been in the Swedish Navy. And then he emigrated to the United States and he put in another 20 some years with the lighthouse service. And he and his wife, Alice, uh, he was the head keeper, lived at the light station. They had a son, Oscar. And as far as we know, 
Oscar is the only person that has died at Point Sur, and he died of tuberculosis in 1917. How, oh, how old was he? He was just shy of 23. And we, oh, so he wasn't a small child. No, no, no. But he was a small child when he came to Point Sur. Now, in the very early, the, one of the early headkeepers was Frank Ingersoll, and he came to Point Sur with a wife and her sister, one or two sisters and brother. And he, he and Mrs. Ingersoll went on to have four or five children. The, the brother-in-law married a local girl in Big Sur, became a light keeper, and then he went on to have a full career in the lighthouse service and retired in 1940-ish. And that was, uh, Ingersoll came to Point Sur in 1890, I believe. Oh. Yeah, so the people would, you know, there were lighthouse families. I guess like there are naval families. It, it's just uh, what, what they do, I guess. Now, the haunting in legends of Point Sur, I saw an episode of Ghost Adventures, and you were on it. Yes. How was that? It was fun. <laughs> it was it fun? I, do, I wasn't there when they were filming the, you know, when they were getting blue lights and, and other stuff. The drama. Yeah, uh, I was up there during the day. And we always kind of laughed because Julie, who was also on that, that show, uh, when she does her investigations, she gets as much stuff during the day, uh, we don't have to be there at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, apparently, get- yeah. And <laughs> I always say uh, it's because our light keepers are good, hardworking folk, early to bed, early to rise. But so yeah, so they're staying on their schedule. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I I, um, I don't know. I I I don't know. Uh, he attributed during the TV show. He, I know that you had said that Oliver was the only one that had passed away actually at the light station, yeah. but he had attributed a lot of the paranormal stuff or things that had happened, the reports that people had given to all the, there were so many shipwrecks right there at point, sir. There were several shipwrecks, um, but there weren't, there wasn't a lot of loss of life. And we hear, so there was one shipwreck in 1894, the Los Angeles, and six people were lost. But aside from that, I'm thinking in 1956, there was maybe one or two people lost on a shipwreck, but there weren't tons of shipwrecks. Oh, there weren't. No. I thought there was something. I thought I thought I had read that there were like a list of shipwrecks. Well, there were, were shipwrecks, but not everything that was in Ghost Adventures that they put out historically was true. Okay. So uh, how many ghosts, how many, how many, um, shocking. Um, how many shipwrecks were there in Point Sur? Well, uh, close by around Point Sur, there was uh, the Ventura that was before the lighthouse was even built. Uh, Los Angeles, the Howard Olson. And these are within a, mile or two and a submarine that went up on the rocks in 1915 
and and the only one of those that I know of that had any loss of life uh, was the Los Angeles in 1894, and the Howard Olson I think may have had one or two fatalities, but I'm not even sure of that. So there is a lot of stories of hauntings there. Though. Oh yeah, what? well that's that's the conundrum. We're like what? Yeah, what is attributed to? I have I, I have no idea. <laughs> my, interesting. My husband, you know, theorized. He said maybe at the end of it all, you get to come back at the place and age you were happiest because we do have a fair number of. Uh, I mean, Julie gets um, child recordings, and the first one I heard of hers. She came as a visitor uh, on a moonlight tour and was actually standing by the porta potties. And she got on her, they're called EVPs. And honestly, I don't know what that means. They're recording. Electronic voice phenomenon. Thank you. And she said, Oh, they've got a Norwegian accent or something. And I'm like, Yeah, right. Because half of the stuff you hear on TV, I don't understand. And then she played it for me, and it was like, oh, my gosh. It's a woman's voice saying, uh, go to bed, smoky, pokey, something like that. Oh, yeah, I had a question about that, because I had read that it was pokey, go to bed, and then on the TV show, they were saying smoky, go to bed. Well, it it was indistinct, and then you hear the little child's voice saying something like, okay, mama. But the the woman's voice had a distinct Scandinavian accent, which was like, oh, my gosh, you can actually hear these things. Now, when Julie got that, uh, she was not a she's a docent now and was just, you know, kind of a random visitor at the time and didn't know much about Point Sur. And when we started to look into some of these, like the, the, um, so we didn't know what era this may have been, but when I started researching some of the keepers, and I'm going to go back to Ingersoll back in 1890, the woman he married had come from Denmark. And so she would have had that. She would have. And one of, so, okay, we've now, we now know that she, you know this woman came from Denmark, and then at one of our volunteer meetings, Julie talked to a uh, a volunteer who has since passed away, whose grandfather was the brother-in-law who spent many many years with the lighthouse service and retired in I don't know nineteen forty or so. So he knew the family; these were his aunts and uncles. And he said, oh, yes, one of the kids, and he, he, he volunteered this, was, had a nickname that was Pokey or Smokey or something that oh, rhymed wow. with that. And it was like, oh, my gosh, there's no way Julie could have known that. I didn't know that. So. And it's really clear. It is. That EVP is really clear. It is. Have you heard it? I heard it. I heard it on TV. Yeah, yeah. it is very clear. <laughs> And which was well, it could just be. I'm wondering if okay, so like your husband's theory is that you go back to the place that you're happiest, yeah. but didn't you say that your souls did they have six kids, five or six? They had a was bunch, I, I can't remember. It was a bunch, okay. So, 
maybe it's just residual. Maybe it's just something that's playing over and over. Like it's not necessarily them haunting, you know, quote unquote haunting. It could just be something that's imprinted on. Here's a theory. A lot of people talk about water being a a conduit for something like a residual haunting where it is just playing over and over again. And that kind of is a lot of what Julie had gotten didn't sound like actual interactions, like where they call it an intelligent hunting, where she would say something, they would say something back. It seemed like a lot of the EVPs she had were sort of like a loop playing over and over again. I don't know. Because <laughs> um. <laughs> what was the other one? She got another one where someone said, you liar, you kiss." Oh, yeah, her. that's another good one. Okay, so, yeah, yeah I want to hear that story. <laughs> the And I don't know where that came from you know, the, we have in our mind how people lived, but I'm, you know, the light station was a small town. There were four families and I don't know if there was hanky panky, don't know about visitors, just don't know. Uh, and there's one of the things that, um, with the ghost adventures is I, I felt kind of like they were trying to manipulate some major trauma, big shipwreck, but right. nothing really happened there. There, there was no real trauma. I mean, you have your individual traumas of everyday life, but. Um, right. I'm losing the, even the 23 year old who lost. Yeah. His and that's, be as far as we know, that's the only, only person that's uh, died there, but you know, there weren't huge storms where people died. There wasn't, yeah, there weren't big um, crimes with knives and, you know, there just wasn't any of that. It was maybe it was a government job. (laughs) And maybe it is what I'm thinking that the, the water being a conduit to sort of, you know, giving power or something to like a residual thing, like, Maybe they were happy there. Maybe Pokey Go to Bed was, you know, like a a memory that that was fine yeah. to play over and over again. Yeah. And even the they had told this story about the EVP where it was, you liar, you kissed her. They had implied that, as the historians had found somewhere in history, that one of the ship captains made of might have had. Hanky panky with someone else? Is that true? Well, I don't know that any of the ship captains ever made it to Point Sur. They were on the ship. Okay, so <laughs> one of the light stations then. Yeah. Anybody there? Maybe. So there isn't evidence that there was some kind of affair? Not that I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> no. Why? Uh, why you have to tell me why you can't tell me uh because it was uh, a gossipy rumor from 100 years ago and i told the person that told me that well i'll tell i'll tell you the brief the brief uh history there was there was one of the headkeepers was a dirty old man so it is definitely not far-fetched that there would be an oh no, no of a woman saying you're a liar yeah. you kissed her yeah Wow. I honestly, out of all the EVPs, and I hear a lot of EVPs all the time, I feel like the ones that Julie got, like they were top notch. Oh, yeah. So clear. Yeah, they are clear. And and there's, uh, and I haven't heard what she's gotten in the last few years. 
but there was a whistle on one that's definitely a whistle. And her, the laughter. Yeah, yeah, laughter. Yes, there was a laughter one. And she, her friend who often does these, these uh, investigations with her, uh, saw someone walking by in a uniform and she sketched out the uniform for me and it wasn't a uniform that was like a light keeper. So we don't really know. Uh, it looked like, I don't know if you're familiar with an Eisenhower jacket, but they're the short yeah. jackets. It looked more like that. So was it some army guy there? We don't know a lot of what went on up there during World War II. We know they kept the light going, but I mean, there's were there any were there any light keepers there during World oh, yeah. War II? Yeah, they had um, they they had both the light keepers with their families, and then they had some Navy people up there doing experiments. So they were oh. actually partially developed radar. At Point Sur, they partially developed uh, the sound surveillance system, SOSIS, which morphed into whatever they're using today to um, listen underwater. They were use that in the Cold War to listen for submarines. Um, so we we don't know much about what the Navy was doing up there because it was super secret. Right. Um, and we just we just don't know. So maybe there were some army people. We just don't know. So interesting. There wasn't it's not a tragic site. It's not where something catastrophic happened. Right. But it did have a lot of life there. Oh there yeah, oh not, there was a lot of yeah. <laughs> I mean some of these keepers had had four or five kids. Right. So there were a lot of kids. Uh during World War Two there were a lot of people. So it was kind of a busy place. Not not everybody got along, you know. That's what I was gonna say. Like it's like a theater where it's high, high intense emotions sometimes. Yes, you know, like you don't get along with people or whatever. All of those things can leave its mark on a land or a building. I I guess. Um, I this is one of those things. Uh, you know, I I'm the historian, and I just go, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. Let me look it up. Yeah, well, Let me see what I can find. I'm gonna, I'll know when I get there. <laughs> That's a, I, it looks like an amazing place. It now, is. if you're saying that Julie does ghost investigations, is that something that people can go on? Yes. She, um, when she has the time, cause she works, she arranges what we call ghost hunts. And, okay. um, it was $50 a person. I'm not sure if that's still what, what's being charged. Um, she's a volunteer, so the money stays at Point Sur for our restoration. And she takes up to, I think, 10 or 12 people. And uh, she shows them how to do an investigation. Often, they're small groups. So she does it, I don't want to say on demand, but it's, it's, a, it's not like she does it once a month. She arranges with okay. people to um to do it so and there's a probably a minimum charge you know if there aren't 12 people maybe she i i just don't know uh, but i'm sure there's a how would people find out do we follow they send um is there send an email instagram they just send an e okay. email and i answer that and then i send it on to julie 
we kind of with with COVID and everything we've uh, and our the lighthouse was actually uh, light station was closed the year before COVID because they were doing bridge repairs and then of course we were closed a lot during COVID and now this summer they're doing more bridge repairs which we hope will be finished in the fall. So okay. the bridge repairs uh, they really don't want us going up at night. Uh, or during the week, so we're we're pretty much stuck with Sunday afternoons for extra tours. Okay, but you're not doing anything special for October for Halloween or anything. We are. We um, have Halloween uh, tours the last okay. two Saturdays of October, and they're not paranormal. They're they're kind of hokey. So we threw some oh. Halloween-y stuff and we've got a little haunted house. Julie is there. She does, uh, she lets people listen to her recordings and she tells them about how she does stuff. So in addition to the haunted house with uh, some special effects, hokey is the operative word here. We also have uh, Julie in one of our historic um Houses will sit with people for, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, in groups and, and tell them about what she does and what she's gotten. So. Okay, well, if you hear back from Julie, I would love to talk to her more about yeah, her. Yeah, she's much more cognizant of what is up there. But we've had other other things. We've had one volunteer that has twice seen... Uh, someone in our headkeeper's house. She was the same person. Keep seeing. Yeah. Um, she saw a woman in a long skirt on the stairs, and then she was sitting in the same building and looked outside and saw a woman, a uh, man. And I can't remember what she said the man was wearing, but she thought it was somebody. It was maybe a uniform or a brown kind of suit or something, but. She thought it was somebody from the tour. She was waiting for the tour to come up, and it wasn't. It, uh, yeah. Uh, and I we had had a report of uh, when, back in the 80s, that after the light station had closed, so the Coast Guard left in 72, California State Parks acquired it in 84, and then they started giving tours in 89. And somewhere in the late 80s, a young girl saw a man in uniform that nobody else saw. And I, we, we had kind of gotten it wrong. We had conflated it with some other events. But somebody gave me her name, and she was visiting her parents in Big Sur. And I called her probably 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And she is in her thirties at this point. And she said that she was up there after it had closed, but just when state parks had taken over and she was with a friend whose father was a ranger and they were looking in the buildings and they looked, you know, like, you know, pieces of paper and the odd piece of furniture here and there. And she went out one building and she said she looked across and she wasn't sure what building it was and she saw a man in the doorway 
of another building in uniform. And he smiled at her. And she didn't think much of it because she was with a ranger and she didn't, she was 10. She didn't know, you know, uniform's a uniform. But later on, when she met up with the rest of the, uh, the group, there was no one in that uniform. And she described a lightkeeper uniform, like a navy blue. Oh, so she got the uniform exactly the way it was. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, yes, they tell me um, that children are more open to these things than adults. That's the thought. Yeah. So I don't know, but she, she remembered it 20 years later. Well, and I, I still have the theory that a lot of it is residual, is not necessarily an act of hunting, but maybe maybe that light station wasn't a bad place to be. Maybe these imprints are not... I mean, are you ever afraid there? Um, when I'm in those buildings alone, especially at night, it's spooky. It's just plain out spooky. Just going to throw my theory right out the window. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've had very little things that I can't explain in my life. A a few, but I, I just don't know, but we know. But it's a creepy feeling. Yeah. I, uh, my daughter, when she was four had, had an experience on the USS Constellation, an old ship in Baltimore Harbor. And, you know, it, she def, she didn't know till she was 15 that she was the only one that saw this person. So I don't discount it, but aside from looking over my shoulder, um, I haven't heard footsteps, which a lot of the other volunteers have heard. If they're up there, right. if they're up there kind of alone, we had... Several of the um, state parks people have heard footsteps in the buildings when they've been in them alone. Some of the volunteers have. We had one of the buildings was being worked on and a contractor got up there before everybody else and he decided to go into the building and he turned the doorknob and he couldn't turn it and then it turned out of his grasp the other way from how he was turning it. So he just went back and sat in his truck until everybody else got there. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to go in there by myself. Never mind. (laughs) And one that happened, one of our volunteers who's a total naysayer, uh, she had a friend um, and they were in one of the buildings and my friend went to um, porta potties and the, the um, visitor couldn't get out of that building until you know she couldn't turn the doorknob couldn't turn the doorknob and then as soon as um the volunteer came around the corner the doorknob opened yeah so i you know there we've and this was with julie but we had a very long time ago we had a group from san jose come and they wanted to do an investigation and it was the first one we had ever done And we had a ranger up there and there was one recording they got in the head keeper's house, which is a two-story standalone house. And the, you can hear the recording of steps going up the stairs and the stairs have a certain sound to them. It it just, I, I could tell anywhere that was the sound of those steps. 
and you can hear the volunteer and the ranger chatting kind of in the background. And I, I, uh, the first time I heard it, I said, who was that? And the, the people who got the recording said, that's the, <laughs> there was no one. And I asked the ranger oh, wow. and I said, did you hear that? She said, I did. I almost wet my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I would love to go up there. I'm going to, Hopefully I get to talk to Julie. Yeah. I would love to do, and I say this all the time, I'm not a great ghost investigator. I'm not, I don't have the patience for it. And I, I love the stories. Yeah. And I actually like this one because I like the nice stories that there's nothing really frightening there. Like, yeah. With the, you know, like ghost, all the TV shows are always trying to look for the, the demon exactly. or the negativity, yeah. but. I love the idea of a place that could still have residual there yeah. that could still have interactive. Like I think it would be so much fun to go up there and do an investigation. Maybe I can do like an event up there, like bring listeners and go up there and do an investigation or something. That would be amazing. Cause I said, I go to San Jose for work. I didn't even think about how close it was to San Jose. Yeah. I know it's not a hop, I skip and a jump, but it's definitely doable. Yeah. Yeah. From San Jose. And I just remembered, I did have one experience. We were in the lighthouse, another volunteer in May, and we um, had cleaned the lighthouse and the, the bottom floor. And there was a demonstration light in there that used to rotate. And because nobody took care of it, it, it hadn't rotated in probably two, three years. And as we were getting ready to go gathering up our brooms and whatnot, the light made one rotation. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we thought, oh, somebody must like what we're doing. Um, So you wouldn't call yourself a naysayer. No. You're open to it. I I have no idea. I have no idea. I I think I'm not particularly open, uh, but I'm not, no, I'm not a naysayer. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. Point Sur Light Station is a place where the past and present converge, where history and mystery intertwine with its whispers of ghostly tales and voices from the beyond. Be sure to tune in next week to hear some of those voices. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.